Welcome to the next episode of The Bigger Picture, everyone. I believe this is episode six. Uh, sorry we had to postpone it from last week. The Twitter space fiasco kind of uh, messed things up a little bit there, but I'm excited that we're able to chat today. The topic today, I think, is very relevant through what a lot of people are probably going to be experiencing this past week and over the next couple of weeks, dealing with a lot more social interactions than perhaps they've been used to over the last little while with all of the holiday get-togethers and, and parties and family events. These types of activities can often bring up a lot of, uh, not necessarily hidden emotions, but when you go back to your childhood home where you're seeing people that you haven't seen in a long time, they can be more highly emotional. And often there are a lot of new people as well when you're dealing with bigger social gatherings. So we had originally been kind of talking about how the creator economy has been developing over the last couple episodes. And we've touched a bit on communication and getting to know people. And we realized that there was kind of this overlap between the, the networking aspect and how we can kind of tie in some conversation on mental health, dealing with anxiety, with networking, but also with social situations more generally. So I'm looking forward to chatting. Yeah, I, I think especially um, since we talked about the whole, the art of communication and how important communication is, I think that also made me realize um, a lot of like my behaviors towards social interactions and yeah, just in general, I think I have been struggling with social anxiety since like a really young age and it's really weird because I feel like I've always been someone who grew up with a lot of people around that around me um and so I don't really necessarily know where my social anxiety comes from but it's just like part of my life and I think over the years I started learning to to cope with it and just accept that it is part of my of my journey so yeah i'm i'm excited to talk to you about this and kind of hear your perspective on how you go about networking and so yeah i'm looking forward to it yeah me too so i mean i think it's interesting that you said that it's anxiety aspect is something that you've been i don't even want to say like the word dealing with because it, it is i guess an aspect of who you are and i know i've definitely felt the same over the course of my life and for me like only in hindsight and only upon a lot of self-reflection over the last couple of years, have I realized that I think that aspect of mental health, for me at least, comes from a lot of overthinking and just having too many options to do different things. And then it can kind of build up to this uh, almost like decision fatigue. And there, since there are so many things to, to do or buy or post or talk about, it can be a little overwhelming. And I think for me, I kind of used to retreat more into like reading books. Like I would, I would really enjoy doing more solo activities growing up. Um, I loved playing sports and stuff too, but if I was starting to feel, I think a little overwhelmed, then I would just go read. So, I mean, that's kind of the opposite of what networking is. And I think there's a lot of skills that can be developed along the way to help with that almost like gut reaction to uh, disappear into another world for a little while. And I think also for me too, and maybe you relate to this, Julia, like photography is kind of an, an aspect of that in my life too. And just general creation and uh, like editing and making different videos, it's it's a way to kind of disconnect from the world a little bit. So then I think it's interesting how really in order to start communicating with other people, we have to figure out how best to connect back into that world. 
And that's kind of where the, the networking comes from. Yeah, I, I think it's funny that you brought up photography because for me that was kind of also an escape. But at the same time, it was um, a way for me to connect with a lot of people. And also I felt like a lot of people that maybe just knew me through social media or, or knew my work, they kind of had a way to quickly connect with me because of what I was doing and that they just start asking questions about like what where my next travel is or something about photography and honestly like I love talking about those things so I feel like for me that has always been a really good way to connect with other people who are also passionate about what I do so with other photographers so I, I feel like at the beginning when I started like meeting more photographers I was um, anxious at the beginning but then over time I realized like it's so much easier for me to connect with other creatives because we have this um, common passion that we love to talk about and can talk about for hours and hours and it never gets boring or there's never like an, an awkward silence about like, what should we talk about next? Because there's so many endless um, topics. So I think for me, photography has been an escape kind of for me to recharge, but at the same time also connect with so many more people. And the same goes with social media, of course. Yeah, definitely. I think that is kind of the aspect of it that I find very interesting because, and this was talked a lot more about in our communications episode, but how much art and creating can be that nonverbal method of communication. So I, I agree. I think it's kind of a, a method of self-reflection to create the work itself. But then in that aspect of self-reflection, I end up kind of understanding who I am a little bit better and by understanding myself a little better I'm better able to communicate that with other people and then using the art as that non-verbal form of communication just helps give me that extra tool that can kind of help with my confidence for communicating with other people and I think for me like the and this well I mean probably not just me I think everyone when they start getting more into creating there's a lot of imposter syndrome that pops up a lot of people look at all these beautiful things that everyone else in the world has been creating and they think, oh, wow, what's like, what's the point of me doing this? Because someone else has already been doing this and they're doing such a great job. Like, what's the point of me trying my best when I'm never going to hit that level? And that's something that I, it's a conversation I've had with many, many people. And I think that's kind of actually taking a bit out of context because, and I, I really should look up this stat because I feel like I bring it up regularly. It's something like 98% of people on social media are consumers and 2% of people are creators. So when you become someone that is trying to create and share things with other people, you're already in a very, very tiny little minority of the of everyone that uses the internet, really. So just by virtue of being a creator, you kind of are a bit of an outcast or not necessarily an outcast, but you're at least different than the other people that are using it. And I think this is to your point on how you can really relate and resonate with other creators and photographers. I think this is probably what helps with the anxiety too, because we start to recognize that together, creative people tend to be a little bit different. They see the world slightly different. And at first that can be really scary to start sharing that with other people, to share that whatever your particular view is, like how you see the world. But then the more you talk to people about it, the more you realize that they see the world pretty differently too. And that almost becomes a form of bonding on its own that can in my experience, really help with reducing the anxiety of social interactions. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's it's always a great way 
um, to kind of reduce your own anxiety when you talk to someone else who's going through the same thing and you're like, you just feel less, less alone. And I think like over the years being on social media so much and really using it daily, um, for, for work and you kind of realize that so many people are going through the same thing. And, and it's funny that you say that there's only like 2% of people who create cause like in the bubble that we live in, it feels like there's so many people, but then I, I guess you kind of forget all the other people who are just viewing and they don't know the, all this like extra pressure that a creator has to go through in order to, to build an audience. And I think, um, there was a time for me as well, where I was being super anxious because I had, uh, built quite a big following. So whenever I would like go outside, I had this unconscious thought of everybody knows who I am. Everybody knows what I'm doing. Everybody knows what I'm posting. And there was definitely a, a time where I was overthinking what I was posting because I thought like, oh, people are going to judge if I do this or if I work with this brand. And, and I think at some point, um, I just started viewing it as this is my job and this is what I do. And it doesn't, you know, if it brings me joy and it, if it helps me and if it's you know, good for me, then it doesn't really matter what other people think. But I, I think there's still this element sometimes that pops up in my head where I'm like overthinking of what I'm going to share, how I'm going to present myself. Although I feel like I want to be 100% authentic, but then by having these thoughts of being like, just like overthinking it, it feels like less authentic, if that makes sense. So this is definitely a struggle that I had to face in the past and it comes up every now and then, but I think I'm better at dealing with it and like kind of working through that. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And I, I definitely know what you're talking about in terms of trying to figure out how is it that you want to share that aspect of yourself with the world. And this kind of goes back to our talk on digital identity and how important that is. And I think that a lot of people, when they get faced with the prospect of sharing some of themselves with the world, like you were talking about, they of course want to start off by being authentic, but then they start to question, what does it mean to be authentic? And like you're saying with the overthinking aspect, then is that going to be an authentic representation of myself? And I think that in my experience, I started considering it as more of a, I have this art form that I want to share to the world. and with that art form, I want to use it as a way to help me communicate with other people and to teach people about different things, whether it's conservation problems, light pollution, the importance of travel, mindfulness. There's so many topics that can be conveyed through art. And I started to view it more as a, okay, if I'm telling this story through my art that I want to kind of convey across multiple levels of social media, I don't have to give the, the viewer or the reader all of the information. I don't have to give up all of myself in order to be authentic. This just can be like an arm of my identity that is a very deliberate and intentional uh, showing of the message that I want to convey through my art. And I think that this actually probably developed for a lot of people when Instagram was first coming out because no one had really experienced social media to that level before. And I think people kind of jumped into it on the other side where it was not very curated to start. Everyone was sharing everything about their lives. So people were just dumping their entire identity online. And that really led to, I think, a lot of people burning out. And then I think that there's kind of been some long-term backlash of that 
where p- people got so burned out from sharing all of this and like dealing with all the social anxiety that came from it that they struggle now to figure out how they can put themselves online in, in a healthy and a balanced way. And I know for me too, that's been a struggle. I think anyone that's dealing with putting an aspect of themselves online is going to deal with that almost like identity crisis. But I'm glad to hear that you've kind of been working through it over the years. And that's kind of how I've felt too. Like I, I did feel pretty nervous. I would post something and then it doesn't get as much engagement as you would like. And then you start questioning if you're actually adding value to the world in general. And then you kind of can just go through this like spiral of self-doubt. And that's also where I think it's really important to, like you're saying, do it for the the right reasons and have it be this genuine portion of yourself. Uh, and I think tying that into other people and building that network of uh, not necessarily accountability, but just people that understand what you're trying to do and people that can relate with what you're trying to do, that can kind of help relieve some of the pressure too. And uh, just quickly, A2, we'll open up the floor at the end of the space for, for questions. Yeah, I think the the point that you brought up of like building this network of people who really like care about what you do and who you interact with on a deeper level, I think is is a much more healthier way than looking at the numbers of thinking like the more followers I have, the better, the more people I can reach. And, and I think that um, is kind of like a mentality of... I, I like I, I'm I'm not saying that it's not um like it can be in a way unhealthy to to only look at your work and see how it performs in the terms of numbers instead of looking at it like the the people who I really care about like the photos that I post or the work that I put out there and I think that is much more valuable if your work can like start a, a conversation or start something between like a, a smaller group of people and touch a smaller group of people instead of going viral and people maybe look at it for two seconds and then forget about it. So I think this always comes back to this this idea that the quality of people is more important than the quantity of people. And like, of course, it is, it is uh, a, a big plus if you want to build a, a social media following for, you know, for your career and you want to do this as a career. And then having more numbers obviously will give you more exposure and maybe more credibility to brands. But I, I, I felt like at the same time, it really like the the more people are watching you, it feels like the more pressure there is. So that's what, one of the reasons why I really enjoyed coming over to Twitter and like kind of starting from scratch and just like posting whatever I felt like because there wasn't this additional pressure that I felt like when I was posting on Instagram. So I was so picky with what I wanted to post and how I wanted to present myself. And I think this is also something that I started doing unconsciously just because of the practice of doing it every single day and like curating my work so much that it was really freeing of kind of not doing that anymore. And I felt like from Twitter that spell- spilled over a little bit also on my gram, although I don't post there as frequently as I did in the past. But I feel like I'm more inclined to share moments that are a bit more unedited or not as curated, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes complete sense. And I think that's something that I really noticed as well. So I guess for context, I started by sharing uh, photos with just people in in DMs on my social media and kind of 
built up that confidence a little bit and then started sharing Instagram. And right away, like I had been putting off sharing Instagram for a long time because I was so nervous kind of about that curation of it, like you're talking about and how everything, it's just, you're building this portfolio, you're building this, uh, like all of art that is going to be there for a while. And and yeah, you could hide it, but that kind of defeats the purpose. So there was this almost like semi-permanent aspect of it. And as I know personally, as soon as there's stakes with something, that's when I start overthinking things, um, because now there's a consequence if I do it wrong. Even though there might be like 50 right answers, it's kind of hard to get to that point. So I felt the same thing coming to Twitter. It felt a lot more relaxed. It felt a lot more, um, I don't want to say genuine, because I think there are a lot of genuine people on Instagram, but the general way of communicating is done more through words. So if you actually want to bond with someone on Twitter, you have to take the time to read what they've written, and that adds a lot of depth to the relationships that you can form there. And these are the relationships that I was forming with the people on my Instagram account that actually took the time to read my captions, um, which was a very small percentage of people. And that's when I realized, okay, Instagram maybe is a great way for me to build this portfolio, but it's not necessarily the way that I want to be communicating with, with people and really building that social network in the way that I think it was kind of originally intended, this network of creators that I can begin to call friends. And that's that's what happened over Twitter. And I can build those friendships over time and really look to people for support and help support them along the way so that we can really build this creator economy, like build the bigger picture that we're trying to go for here together. And I think what helped is exactly what you were saying, how Twitter was kind of a bit less edited. Um, It felt a bit more, uh, I guess, less permanent because I don't know if people know the average lifespan of a tweet is something like 24 minutes. It's a very short period of time if it doesn't happen to get picked up by uh, some kind of virality algorithm. So that removes a lot of the pressure. And I think what's also really interesting is that I was kind of getting away from the pressure of Instagram to go to Twitter, which is less permanent, but also to get into blockchain, which is like the most permanent thing possible. So it's kind of interesting that I think I like the communicative aspect of Twitter from the the reduction in pressure. And then I can save all of that extra pressure that I'm creating, uh, or maybe not pressure, that extra intention that I'm developing, and then use that to decide what I want to mint and put on the blockchain to begin really developing that provenance for myself. So I, I think, yeah, like I guess to kind of continue that, on Twitter, I've really I jumped in and I just started talking to so many people and I met so many cool people that had been developing their art for so many years. And it's been a really great social network in my experience. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I think I never really thought of um, how Twitter posts don't feel as permanent as they do. Like when you post something on on um, Instagram, for example, like especially on the feed, I mean, like stories are um, less permanent, but they disappear and then they're never you're never able to find them again as a as a viewer um but with twitter i guess there's you can still find the tweet if you start scrolling down and um yeah i i think i've never really thought about that that relationship uh or that relation of of post and time and there was another thing that you brought up that i wanted to touch on um but it it slipped my mind what what was the the last thing you talked about uh how we can use twitter to kind of build that network of friends uh, and then use that to support each other when we're going through all of these, this anxiety or imposter syndrome. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I think that 
I feel also like I'm more inclined of sharing um like if if I if I've been feeling anxious or if I haven't if I've gone through like a bad period of days or whatever I feel like more inclined sharing that with Twitter because the the network feels a little bit smaller and a little bit more intimate and I really enjoy that and just I don't know it's it's just something unconsciously because if if we're talking talking about like authenticity like and you know showing up as and like the the digital identity that you want to convey across all social platforms you know it it shouldn't be this unconscious thought or this i guess conscious thought of um how are people going to perceive me or how are people going to perceive um like what i share about myself um and yet i i honestly don't know why it feels so much safer in a way on twitter but it's just um yeah just the way i feel about it i guess it's just the the number of people that are watching and just the the connection that i made feel much more genuine yeah so i I completely agree and think maybe this is going a bit more to the networking side of things but and like you talked about earlier instagram and we've talked about this before too but some social media have this concept of just mass production to reach a mass audience and that's a really draining way to operate because you are missing out with that like true empathetic connection with someone. And instead, you're just catering to this algorithm that you want to keep happy. And what I personally have liked about Twitter, and I think other social media are going to continue developing with this aspect, is that ability to just have that true empathetic connection with someone by bonding deeply over something through conversations and DMs, or even more importantly, in my experience, over Twitter spaces. When we talk Right, you and I would send voice notes back and forth for the like over a year, and that's really I think how we became such good friends because we took the time to send these sometimes like ten or twenty minute long voice notes. And when you're communicating by voice, there really is another level of emotion and authenticity that can be conveyed that is often not not necessarily not present in the written word, but it's just more difficult to convey. So I think Twitter Spaces and I'm sure this is why Clubhouse took off too. People were looking for that level of connection, especially during the pandemic. So that, that's just one aspect on why I like Twitter. But back on the, the mass production side of things, I was really looking for a way that I could share my art and begin monetizing it uh, because that was an important aspect of being a creator is how can you actually make money? And I found that Twitter seemed to be more about spending the time to get to know other people And then the rest of the energy goes towards creating these NFTs. That was a very deliberate project. Like I, when I post something on Instagram, I, in no way whatsoever does the thought cross my mind that I'm launching a product. Uh, But when I put out an NFT collection, that is very much how it feels. Like I'm launching NFTs and there's a lot of work that goes into marketing that and networking and building it up and figuring out how I want to convey it to people. So instead of trying to post consistently every day on Instagram, I took all of that extra creative energy and put it into creating a really good project, like one that I was super proud to put out there that personally I put in a lot of research and effort and learned a lot of different skills along the way. And that was actually, uh, it gave me a deeper connection with my own art because I put so much effort into going deeper into a few things instead of shallowly into many things. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that point that you brought up. And also... Um, on the note of voice notes, I feel like for me, 
speaking in spaces and also sending a lot more voice notes to you and to other people made a really genuine connections with. I feel like I have become much more confident in the way that I communicate with people just because I, I feel like it's this constant practice of listening and then reacting and replying and like adding what your own opinion and not being like afraid of what you're saying like I feel like I've definitely had that in the past where it was just like overthinking while I was speaking and I think by simply doing like voice notes all the time and, and speaking in spaces it really helped to to find ways to come across like to communicate my opinion in a more efficient way and I think that gave me a lot of confidence by simply doing it all the time so I think that is also an efficient way for me to to deal with my social anxiety because yeah, in a weird way, there's definitely is that aspect of social anxiety that I have sometimes when I am in spaces. But at the, but then, I don't know, when I then meet people in, in person, I just think like I'm talking to friends or like people in spaces. And, and I think it really helped in a weird way to to kind of rewire my brain of thinking like I'm just talking to friends and they're there and that's why they're here and I have value to add to other people. So I think, yeah, again, like I think it really helped my confidence in, in speaking to other people and communicating what I want to tell them. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm so happy to hear that. And it's something that I've definitely noticed you improve with over the last year. So that's also been very cool to see your development and confidence grow. I love that. Um, yeah, and on the, the value sharing side of things, that's, I think, the key aspect to networking and to in my experience, reducing social anxiety. Now, when I go into social situations, like, of course, I still have the odd ones that make me a bit anxious. Usually it's a result of my like social battery being depleted by work and other events. So the thought of the social event is what seems to be what is causing the anxiousness instead of the people that I'm going to see there. It's, I think, more of just a, I probably haven't taken the time to recharge properly, but that's not always possible. And what I have found really helpful was actually the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And it's from like the 40s, so it's it's really old. But usually books that are that old, they tend to have a lot of uh, like kind of universal lessons in it because it's, it's still been applicable for so long. And one thing that I really took away from this book is the commentary on how every interaction you have with someone else can be an opportunity to both give value to them and receive value from them like you can leave every social interaction with a like a synergy right where both people have improved as a result of that social interaction so now when i go into talking to different people even if i have i've never met them before or they're my closest friends i can still go into it with the same approach which is let's just figure out what they really want to talk about because very often people just want to be heard and if you i don't know if you've noticed this and i think this is kind of back to the instagram conversation a lot of people are kind of just like yelling out into the void and people aren't really listening. And then the, their solution is to yell louder. And that just, that doesn't help communicate better. But if you're able to be that ear and be that genuine source of active listening, like engaged listening, then people start to look at you a little bit differently. And they're like, oh, wait a minute, this person actually just heard what I said. And then they made an informed comment back like that. That doesn't happen all the time. And I think a lot of that comes from being confident in yourself that you'll be able to find that touch point of connectivity between you and that other person. And that is where I think the practice part comes in because everyone has something that they're 
super interested in talking about. They just may be a bit blocked from talking about it in public for all of the reasons we've been talking about. Maybe it's imposter syndrome, maybe it's anxiety, maybe they don't have a lot of self-esteem. But if you can figure out a way to reduce their anxiety or give them a little bit of confidence and encouragement, then I think you end up leaving the situation. Even if you didn't get to talk about something that you're super interested in, you can at least have learned something from the other person. And if you start looking at every single interaction as a learning opportunity, well, that, I mean, that's a great way, in my opinion, to live life because it's just this constant state of self-improvement while boosting other people along the way. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that is such a great point. And I think one of the, the lessons that I try to kind of implement in my social interactions, like it's, I would say like I try to think about it definitely is not as successful every time because sometimes you just don't have the social energy. Like I get drained really easily. But I think like the first step of listening to what other people are passionate about and then just asking questions it will be really easy to find that conversation and the flow in the conversation. I know that we talk a lot about flow as well and like how important it is to find that in a conversation with someone else as well. And that's, I think, the, the best way to, to make really great connections in, is like finding that either what is the other person passionate about or what are we both passionate about and what, what can we like exchange and what, can, what value can I bring to the other person? Um, and I, I think also another thing that helped me a lot um, is what you also brought up earlier is like by being empathetic and if you see someone who might like act shy or you see like they're being a little bit more introverted by simply going over to them and like talking to them, like whenever people do that to me, like when they see that I am in a more anxious situation and they do that to me and by just saying, hi, how's it going and just start the conversation. Like I feel so much more relief and I try to do that for other people as well because I feel like it helps me so much. So I want to try to be that for other people as well. So, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. I, I definitely think that's a, a great way to look at things. And I'm glad you brought up flow. I, you know that I love flow. Um, it's something that I've been researching over the last couple of years, flow and attention span. And when I come up with examples on what are different situations where you can find flow, I always use conversations as an example, right? Like Julia was saying, because it's a way that you can go back and forth with someone, kind of like this ebb and flow, like the tide coming in and out. And it's a very natural way of like give and take. And if you can find that balance in conversations, then a lot of the anxiety is reduced in my experience. It just starts to feel natural. And as soon as things start to feel natural, then I don't worry as much about banging and kind of just go with the flow of the conversation. And then what's really nice is if I've just had that interaction with someone where I didn't get drained by it, I can now have I have more uh, social energy to go have another conversation with someone else and try and get that same situation. So it's kind of like being more intentional and deliberate about being an active listener and trying to find that value uh, between you and that other person of actually paying it forward to even more people in, in the social situation. And then everyone can kind of have uh, hopefully less stressful time. And I mean, I know that that's always gonna vary depending on the social situation. And I think that's really where the practice starts to come in. And a lot of people in my experience will say, oh, I'm not good at socializing. I'm not good at these things. And I mean, everyone has a different level of comfortability that they're going through when they're thinking about social situations. And that's completely fine. 
But the more that you figure out ways that you yourself can put that aspect of yourself out there to go find those conversations, I think not only will you improve your confidence, but you'll also improve or reduce your anxiety and improve your mental health. And I think it will also very much help with the ability of creators to improve their networking. And that's such an important aspect for also reducing stress dealing with money if you can figure out how to improve your networking. Um, so maybe we could talk a little bit about that because I think that's something that a lot of people are interested in as well. Uh, you mean like how to efficiently network on social media or, or what were you what were you thinking? Yeah, I guess like we kind of touched on it a little bit with spaces. And I think in my experience, what I've kind of seen is like everyone has different level of introvertedness and extrovertedness. So not everyone wants to go hop into a space and start talking right away. And I know that's a concern of a lot of more introverted people. Uh, so I, I think it's also important to find ways that you as an individual can still have that kind of socialization aspect through social media in a way that doesn't drain you too much. Uh, so, I mean, like this is where I've been trying to do a lot more quote tweets or instead of commenting on 50 posts, like, oh, awesome, cool shot, epic, like fire emoji. I take the time to maybe only respond to three or four people. But the response that I put in is like, really thought out and deliberate and takes a bit of time. So I guess what I'm kind of saying is what I've noticed with Twitter is that it's possible to begin building that network, not even of like business people, but just friends and people that you can communicate with and find that flow of conversation on a Twitter post instead of having to find it in spaces. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And that definitely has happened to me a few times where I just commented on someone else's post or someone commented on on my post about like more than just like this is a great shot maybe they asked about where it was taken or just tips about that and and then often uh that conversation then um spilled over into like dms and it it, it developed a much more deeper connection and i think as you said like that that quality over over quantity i think we see that more and more with um with the way we communicate on on Twitter, and I, I think it's it's a uh, such yeah, it's much more healthier that way com compared to what Web two or like coming from the whole Instagram world where you're constantly bombarded with so many things. Like I mean, there's definitely an, an overstimulation in all social media. It's not like there's there isn't that aspect in in Twitter, but I think it feels much more. Um, intentional with the way that we try to communicate, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think kind of what I wanted to bring up too is drawing a parallel between that style of interacting, interacting with people on social media and extending that to all forms of social interactions. Uh, I think that the more practice you have, even when you're talking with your friends, like you can try and bring up something that you know that they're passionate about or that they're interested in and then provide that deeper level of intentional comment in the same way that you would on a Twitter post where you're trying to learn more about whatever the situation was of this creator. And I think that the more people begin to think about these situations as that synergistic value uh, adding to both parties, the, the more people's mental health will improve, the less anxious they'll feel, and I think the better they'll be able to, uh, I guess, begin developing ammo to battle their imposter syndrome. Because in my experience, that's usually what has stopped a lot of people from going 
more into their creative pursuits and and really like aligning themselves with their passions is that they have this imposter syndrome that kind of holds them back and everyone's level is a bit different and there's no judgment at where anyone is at like it's i think a personal journey of of everyone but the more i can try to figure out ways to help other people battle their imposter syndrome sometimes without them even knowing it right like it doesn't have to be a oh i noticed that you're not doing this enough you should do this more it's more of a oh wow i saw that you did this and, and i love this little detail like this thing dumped out at me as being extra cool why'd you do that and these i realize sound kind of just maybe like basic conversation points but it's all about that search for a deeper connection with another person and that's i think really where you start to get the value of web3 and that kind of i know we've been using twitter a lot as an example but really to me it's it's what uh twitter has kind of begun the transformation of what people are going to look for in social media maybe not with all the the latest things that have been happening but from the nft world and the web3 development it's about trying to build this network of people that you can not necessarily rely on, but in some situations rely on. And you can just have this value sharing system back and forth where everyone is able to increase the reach of other people by retweeting if they resonate with it. They can just improve their overall, uh, really the creator economy as a whole. And I think that that's something that Web2 Socials never really thought about from their inception. Right? like they weren't really created to do these things. They were created to put your work out there into the world and try and find many, many people. Um, and the Web3 aspect, I think, is a bit more deliberate. And I guess the reason why I'm kind of going down this uh, somewhat of a tangent is because I don't want people to think that networking has to be something that is almost like sinister or manipulative or anything. It, it's not You're not doing these things to get something from someone else. You're doing these things just to add more value into the world and hope that at some point that value will come back to you in some way. But it's not like you're looking to get someone to buy your work all the time. It's just, oh, I've learned something about this person, which has given me a greater skill, which will then perhaps lead to me having another sale in the future because I've learned from this person. Or it could be that, oh, I really resonated a lot with this person and they have a collector that buys from them. And now that collector can be on my radar and maybe I'll engage with them because of how much this person hyped them up in terms of being such a cool collector that they really vibed with. So I think it's just kind of all about passing these values around and forward, but not necessarily have to have this like underlying desire for money that I think a lot of people think about when we talk about networking. Yeah, those are really, really great points. And I, I think I especially like what you said about having kind of like a safety net almost with the network that you build of people who support you and believe in you. And I think that really takes off a lot of pressure when you want to pursue, um, like not even like pursuing it full time, but just being able to either, yeah, I guess making a living off also like selling NFTs and just also making the extra money to um, to fuel your passion and to keep going. And, and I think it, it really takes off all this pressure when you know there are people out there who are going to be there for you and, and show up for you and support you. Um, so yeah, I think that is, is such a beautiful um, thing that you've been, I just wanted to underline that. And um, Kyle, if you don't um, mind, I think we should uh, bring up A2 because he's been waiting for a really long time. Yeah, yeah, sure. No problem. Um, I, 
I was going to say one other thing, but it's uh, just slipped my mind. Oh, um, just on the aspect of uh, having this like support network that's there for you. One thing that I've had a lot of conversations about with different people from a, a mental health perspective is that a lot of people will, for whatever reason, have uh, something going on in their lives that they're unable to post on Twitter as much. They're unable to keep up their social media presence. And then they leave for a month or two and they come back and they're so worried that the algorithm's going to be dead. No one's going to support them anymore. They're not going to be dealing with their friends. And they're really worried that they're not going to be able to sell their art anymore. And I mean, my response has always been, well, I, I think that's kind of the point of Web3 is that you we all recognize as creators that a lot of effort goes into these creations and that there can be other things in life that pulls you away from being able to focus so much on the marketing aspect of it. And that's kind of why we're all here. Like we can be the safety net that maybe not everyone is here all at the same time, but there's going to be a few people that are definitely there ready to welcome you back whenever you're ready to come back after your social media break. And to me, that's been one of the most valuable aspects of it is by building these genuine relationships with people. You're not as worried when you come back that you have to kind of start from scratch because you already have a few people that you know are going to share your work and you can start up conversations again. So I really love that aspect. And on that note, welcome, A2. Thanks for coming up. Thanks for having me, man. I just really enjoyed the conversation that's been going on. I was kind of taking notes as to like just what really stuck out to me um, throughout. And uh, I really do resonate with a lot of what's being shared as a creator, um, as a musician and a photographer, among other things. And um, Julia mentioned digital identity, which I thought was so, um, was, a, was a nice way to kind of, um, kind of summarize it like like my thoughts and what I wanted to share with everybody today um I go by A2 online but like in person I IRL I go by AJ and so that's been kind of my journey of drawing that fine line that we've been talking about between taking time for yourself as a human and then branding yourself online with social media um I studied marketing um in undergrad to get a better grasp on marketing but um ultimately it was that grunt work of you know uh, getting down and dirty in the space, you know, I'm muting your mic. Um, shout out to all the introverts who are just chilling and listening. Cause I definitely feel y'all, um, every time like something like this happens where it's like, oh man, like I kind of just want to like chill back, but at the same time, like push myself forward. So it's really just about that self-awareness, um, on how to like place your digital identity and like, what that means to you. Cause I see social media as a tool, a very, very useful tool. And I've been able to so many wonderful artists. I see Julio in here, I've seen his work before, super dope. Julia, like I found her work recently, so I started following her. You know, like just stuff like that where like in my area of the world in New York City, um, in Nashville, um, like I just wouldn't be exposed to otherwise. So I love being able to um, tap into everybody that way. But I do have time limits on my phone. I do have like evening and morning routines that kind of put like my wellness first before anything. Uh, but I also give myself grace too, because, you know, it's like super important to like know that like okay if i feel like i'm tweeting into the void like we all feel like most of the time because what you said is like under half an hour the uh tweet lifespan which is crazy right um so it just feels like sometimes you're just like kind of pushing uh words and nothing's really happening but kind of giving yourself grace just be like all right like you know today is going to be the day where i give like the best that i can and some days it might not look better than others but i'm gonna push through and when it's time to take a break, it's time to take a break. Like I have no, like everybody in my inner circle knows what apologies about taking time off of social media 
to tap back into me going to nature or whatever because i think it's a really important aspect but yeah so digital identity and just like knowing how to give yourself um that that fine balance um and you know let your art authentically tell your story and just that type of thing i just wanted to highlight that and i really do appreciate the conversation that's been going on cool yeah thank you so much and thanks for coming up to speak to really appreciate your thoughts i think that what you touched on for that's kind of what i would refer to as mindfulness and that's something that has been a big part of my artistic journey too is trying to figure out not only how can i create in the way that i want to but how can i share that creation while still maintaining this mindful aspect of my life so that i don't begin burning out and I like that you said that you're unapologetic about taking breaks because I think that that should be the expectation of creators. And I think that's something that I know we've definitely run into in the Web3 space and there's been different comments on that for collectors and the expectations that they may have. But I think at the end of the day, it has to be what is best for you as the creator because if you're burnt out from trying to maintain all these expectations of other people, you haven't been able to maintain your mindfulness well, then the art's going to dip anyways, and you're not going to be able to continue adding value and building this aspect of your digital identity in a way that other people value. And I'm, I'm so glad that you resonated with the digital identity conversation too. We actually had a previous space that was all on digital identity and brand building. And I think that that is just one of the most important aspects of, I mean, the last few years for sure. It's something that a lot of people have touched on. And I think in recent times, more and more people are beginning to understand the power and the value of digital identity and how that ties into your brand, which is what you're talking about. So I guess just on kind of like a, a piece of maybe not even advice, but just personal experience, I've found that if I can make that mindful aspect and the needing to take breaks and step away aspect of what I do with my art creation, a part of my digital identity, right? I've kind of crafted it as mindfulness is an aspect of it then people can have an expectation of me that I will take breaks when I need to. So I think this kind of comes back down to when you're building your digital identity, and this goes, I think, generally for all networking, if you're able to communicate in a way that properly resonates with the people that you're trying to communicate with, you can set those expectations of, I'm going to go take a break when I need to because it's for my mental health and I care a lot about mental health because it's one of the most important aspects of my life and the life of others that I care about. So the more that we can normalize taking breaks as needed, especially I find around the holidays when there's a lot of stress, there's a lot of social interactions that are expected of people. And I think we'll begin building a, a better world together that values some of these things. And yeah, Julie, I don't know if you have anything to add to that. Yeah, no, I I, I really appreciate you, AJ, coming up and, and sharing that with us and, and that you found value in, in the conversation today and also um, Carl, what you were saying about making mindfulness uh, an aspect of your brand or like your, of your digital identity. I think that's a, such a clever way to put it because it's like, it's like, yeah, if that becomes part of your, of your brand, then people are like, oh, it, it makes sense that you're, that you're away taking care of yourself. But it's, you know, that should be like, it should be like a normal thing for, for everyone. And I think this expectation that we think other people have of us I think so much of it is like in our own heads because we we're afraid or we have this anxiety that people are going to forget about us or forget about um, our work. And I think that it goes back to building that strong network of people that really value who you are and they will understand 
if you need to take a break or if you can't make it to a space or if you can't make it to whatever. Um, so I think that's such a, a point that you brought up. And also, GM Chriso, do you want to add anything to the conversation? Yeah, yes. Good morning. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, it's a great space. Uh, no, very, very well thought out uh, the arguments and discussions. So thank you so much for that. Hello, Julia, Callum, A2, and lots of people down, Julio, Apa, Victor, Guillaume, and other people. Um, so I just wanted to add the, I mean, the thing is, it's good you just mentioned, Julia, the thing about expectations, right? And I think you've got to be really careful um, that you are aware of what the expectations really are. And, and um, it was quite an eye-opener for me about two days ago. There was a a question asked by Kath Simard um, regarding whether, whether collectors would still buy work from somebody who creates beautiful art but leaves the space, right? And quite a few people of importance, um, not more than one for sure, um, say that it doesn't matter to them, which I found very surprising. I mean, the overall, the overall kind of response I got was, well, the overall kind of feeling I got from that thread was that we believe, I think, or I think our community has kind of installed in us the belief that we have to prove to everyone that we are here for the long run, whereas it actually turns out that but probably a significant number of collectors don't think that way. Um, and if you are aware of that, you know, you may have a much more me measured way of, you know, approaching this. So you need to, you need to be aware too that the people who speak in spaces, right? The people, you know, that I mean, you, you've got to ask yourself actually, where does this idea come from? I mean, I mean, they said that, okay. So let me just get a little bit, uh, uh, I guess, uh, not, not, <laughs> but not so articulate. So what I'm saying is, um, it turns, and you've got a whole bunch of people, right? So you've got some collectors who very strongly feel that you have to be here um, and that you need to you put on every day if you can, et cetera. So there really are collectors who believe that. Um, but there are also collectors who it doesn't matter to, and it's probably quite a large number. Um, and you you always got to be very aware that only a few collectors actually speak in spaces. Very few. The vast majority don't. And we tend to kind of take what they said too seriously. Um, you always have to take what you hear you know, with, with, with very much of a grain of salt. Um, so in conclusion, I'm basically saying is I've seen artists um, who are basically active on the timeline. I mean, they are present on the timeline, but they're not really active in spaces and they're still doing very well. Um, so give yourself a break, right? It is not as crucial as you think it is probably. For some collectors, it is. So it's, it's for some collectors, if you're not in spaces, that might be a deal breaker. But probably for the majority, it is not. Um, so I just want to point that out because I think actually when the artists say, you know, well, you'll be forgotten, et cetera, that's actually something that we kind of repeat because we've heard it from some collectors. Um, not necessarily, well, I mean, why would we, why would I forget other artists? I mean, me as an artist, right? I, I'm not upset if you're not there. Um, if you, you know, and I'm, not gonna, I'm never going to forget you. If I've ever if I'm interacted with you, especially on a space, I won't, it's very unlikely I will forget you. So what we're scared of is that we're forgotten by people who can buy our work. And that probably is not as important as we think it is. So anyways, those are just my two sets. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much for, for adding that. I, I agree. I think that a lot of people get really caught up in their own echo chamber and what that means in terms of their art and their ability to sell art. But it's very important to remember that everyone is their own in their own echo chamber. Everyone is viewing their reality through social media differently. And I think the reason that some collectors probably like spaces is because spaces end up bridging echo chambers in a way that an algorithm can't really. So it almost provides some like reality verification to some people. 
And that can kind of, I think, encourage more people to collect from other artists if they're aware that other collectors are also interested in that artist. And also from the genuine ability of the the artist, the creator, to convey whatever their message is, whatever their digital identity is and how that relates to their art can be bolstered by spaces. But I completely agree that you don't have to be in spaces in order to sell. And I actually read that thread that you're talking about from Kath Simard on whether or not you would, would people purchase art from those that hadn't been active in the space for a while. And I think also it's really important for creators and artists to have a distinction between collectors and investors. And I think they often get blended together. And this is where people begin feeling pressure about floor prices and they feel pressure about um, hitting their all-time high and all of these things because they have this perception that collectors expect them to continuously increase the value of their work so that they can make more money in the future. But I think that's actually the investor perspective. So, and kind of what I had picked up on when I was scrolling through the thread too is if someone's in it for the art and that's why they're here because they want to buy cool art. I mean, in my opinion, if I come across a piece that I resonate with that I want to buy and the person hasn't been in the space forever, but I really vibe with that work, I have no problem buying it because it's about what value am I getting as a collector to have this beautiful artwork in my collection. It's not a, oh, I'm going to buy this with the intent to flip it in a couple months, hoping that it's gone up in value. And in the, that two month period, I'm going to be harassing the artist to try and bump up the value of their work so that I can uh, I can make some investment income. Right? That's, that's a completely different issue. And I think that the more people begin to separate these thoughts and of the investor versus collector, hopefully I think there will be a shift in how people perceive uh, the sale of art in Web3 generally. And just on to your, one of your points too about connecting with people and trying to find, and you're worried as an artist that you're not going to make sales if you're not connecting with these people. I think that the way I view it at least is the, the concept of 1000 true fans, which is this idea that you don't need to appeal to everyone in the world to sell your art. You only need to find a thousand people that vibe with you enough to purchase it. So that actually removes a lot of the pressure if you think of, okay, if I only need a thousand people to make a decent living off of selling my art, that's that's not me having to go on Instagram and post a reel that's going to get a million views and hopefully find, like, in reality, one or two people that actually would buy something from me, right? It's more about fostering these connections with other creators and collectors and investors, if you want, in this space in a way that you can slowly accumulate collectors over time, slowly accumulate true fans over time. And what I actually think has been more important, and we've talked about this a few times, is fostering the true friends because not everyone has to be looked at for financial gain. It can also be you're just bonding and vibing with people so that when you post a new piece, they can retweet it and share it and they'll be able to help you build your your brand and sell more art, but they don't have to actually put uh, a financial investment in you. They just need to be a friend that you have kind of developed a relationship over time. So yeah, th thanks so much for your thoughts. And Julia, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I think you you really summed up beautiful beautifully what we were talking about today in, in general, like this whole um, like expectations and, and anxiety and, and how that kind of diminishes. I think that's the word when you have this this network of people. And as you said, like it doesn't always have to be like a financial support from people. It can even just be someone telling you you did a really great job on on the drop that you made or whatever it is you know like those little bits of support can go a really long way and they will add up and it just 
yeah, forces that connection, that deeper connection. So yeah, Christoph, thank you so much for, for bringing that up as well. And um, yeah, great thoughts, Callum, as usual. Yeah, thank you. Oh, I say if anyone else wants to come up too, feel feel free to join. But yeah, Christoph, go for it. Yeah, thank you. Uh, no, I just want to add one more thing, um, which is uh, just like you point, you know, touching on the thing about investors, right? Um, and, and you know, of course, the, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, these spaces or the Twitter space is at the end of the day, primarily a business environment, right? I mean, it's it's also a wonderful community for artists to talk to each other and spend time and we build friendships and things like that. And and that is very true. And, and we all appreciate it, right? But as you can see, as we all can see, when the play, play market happens, you know, it's uh, it's it's a market effect, and people will go right. They say, look, because it, and it's understandable because they have to make a living, and I can't spend time doing this. Uh, they need to spend time, you know, pursuing another avenue of income. So, um, I guess what I wanted to say was, at GTP, since there are investors in the space, and since this is a business environment, uh, you always need to understand that investors have. Uh, motors, right, to, to make an, to make a profit, and so when they speak in spaces, they may say things that uh, you know may encourage artists to do behave in a way that is of advantage to them, um, and it may be very subtle. Um, but since artists, you know, tend to take what collectors say for gold, you know, as golden, uh, you know, just a few statements can make a huge difference. Um, so, you know, so that's why I'm be very careful. I'm just saying be, be aware. That you are in a business environment, um, and and some people who, who are investors or want to make a profit, you know, potentially may say things um, to influence you, and you need to be aware that what that motivation is. Um, because I feel also, you know, and I kind of fell in a trap myself. To be honest, is it's kind of this, you know, you know, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed kind of, you know, naive environment. Sometimes, you know, you come in, we all love one another, and you know, kumbaya and stuff, and. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's all very nice, right? But it's, you know, humans are humans. You know, we, we, you can be, you can, it doesn't matter how decentralized you are, you're still humans and you're still in a market environment and you should not forget what you've learned in life outside of this. Now to, to bring that in with you here. Um, so don't be too trusting. Um, I mean, don't, it doesn't mean that you need to be paranoid or anything like that, but just, you know, just be aware, you know, the, the forces that, play, that, that go around you. Okay, that's it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, no problem. I think those are good points. And I think the way that I would kind of summarize that is when you're in a situation like a social network or anything really that can have a network effect, it's very helpful to be intentional about what you're doing and deliberate with what you're doing. And I think also that's what investors and collectors are looking for. They're looking for people that recognize that they themselves have a digital identity, right? The artists have a digital identity that is in effect a brand that they are marketing to other people. So if creators are self-aware of the fact that they have this digital identity that they are using for marketing purposes, I think that will also alleviate a lot of the concerns of collectors and investors because you're kind of self-identifying uh, almost in a business sense. And I know this is a, a conversation that a lot of artists have struggled with over time because a lot of people say, oh, well, I, my art should just sell because it's beautiful and, and this is great and I want to be known just for my art. I don't want to deal with the marketing side of things. And I mean, I, I wish that that were the case. And in some people's cases, that's true. Like you just have, they have such incredible art that it blows up on social media and they get the attention of the right people and, and away they go. But that's very much uh, luck in my experience. I think it has more to do almost with kind of playing the lottery when you happen to have a post that goes viral. 
And you can improve the odds of the, your lottery ticket winning by understanding how to craft your your tweets and craft your NFT story in a way that is going to appeal to more people. So there is a lot of intentionality, I think, that can go into this. And I think you're right, though, that a lot of people, especially, well, I mean, across the whole world, but uh, in my experience, North America has a lot of this. Is It's very business-based, um, and there's a lot of like networks that have been developed. And I say North America because that's where I live, so uh, that's been my experience. Not to say that it can't happen other places or that it's not, but, and this is kind of an aspect of what we were trying to get at with this space too, on the, the social networking. It's not just about networking on social media necessarily, but that's that's a very valuable, like KJ was saying. It's more about how do you enter into different interactions in a way that you can build your network. And your network doesn't have to be someone that is going to buy something directly from you necessarily, but they may lead to a sale in the future. And again, it's going to vary if you're if you're friends with the person or if you happen to meet at some kind of event where the whole purpose is to inspire mingling between different networks. There are a lot of business events that occur, like lots of conferences around the world, right? Oh, and we didn't even talk about this, but I, I was planning on it. Events like NFT NYC or our Basel or NFT London or NFT Paris or whatever, right? There's all these in-person events that people like to go to because they think, well, first off, it will help them make better friends, which is awesome. And I hope that that's a core reason that a lot of people go. But a lot of people also go because they want to make network connections that will perhaps help them sell their art in the future. And I I don't think that's a bad thing, too. It's really all about developing these relationships in a way that is healthy for you as an individual, something that's in tune with who you are and the value you want to share with others, such that you can maintain your mental health and hopefully get to cl or closer to financial freedom along the way as a creator. So I, I think that the monetization aspect, and Christoph, I think that's kind of what you're going towards, the monetization is going to be an essential part of making it as a creator. So if you're not thinking about things as a business, you're going to be missing out on a lot of potential income in the future. Um, but again, it's always tough to phrase it like that because I don't want it ever to be all about the money, right? It's, it's more about creating something that is in line with who you are as a person and then having teaching other people to value that creation along the way. Do you have something to add there? Oh, I, I mean, I was just enjoying listening to you, <laughs> to be honest. And I, I don't think I have anything to add. I think, yeah, I, I mean, there there could be so many more things that we could go into depth. But um, but no, <laughs> right now I'm I'm just uh just uh, drained a little bit and just letting everything sink in. To be honest. Yeah. Yeah. No worries. Uh, okay, I guess I'll just briefly touch on the in-person stuff for a sec on the, the NFT NYC aspect. Because, um, I mean, it's something I've been considering going to, and I know that not everyone has an opportunity to attend events like that. So I would just encourage people to kind of like what AJ was talking about and what Christoph was talking about and Julia have been talking about the whole time, is consider how your digital identity can be used almost as a proxy for yourself in real life to help expand your brand and expand your presence in this creative world, this creator economy. Because I do think it's such a valuable and underused tool that we have as creators, um, especially, at, I guess, well, maybe not especially, but in my experience in the visual art, like if you share something on social media and you add an image to it and it's a nice image, you end up getting like a 70 boost in engagement relative to sharing something that doesn't have an image associated with it. 
So there are lots of ways that you can kind of consider, even if you're in into writing poetry or musician, uh, making music, right? There are different ways that you can begin to develop your digital identity and the way that you convey to other people. And I think it's really important to take some time to self-reflect and figure out how you as an individual can do this in a way that doesn't take away or too much away from your mental health because putting yourself out there is a, a scary thing to do and it's a draining thing to do and it can lead to your imposter syndrome attacking and anxiety coming up. So the better prepared you are for figuring out how you can craft your digital identity in the way that feels authentic to yourself, I think the better off you're going to be in the long run in this space. And a lot of people tend to FOMO and just jump into stuff and they lose that intentionality and that deliberateness. And I think that ends up eating away at themselves as people because they haven't found a way that they can kind of resonate with social media and the people that they're meeting online. But if no one else has, if no one else wants to come up, then I think that we will probably end this space. Uh, I just want to note that all of the previous spaces have been recorded and I can, I'll, I'll share a tweet with all of them after that. So if you're interested in listening to some of other, our other topics, they're, they're all available. Um, and I guess just in general, we've been kind of talking a lot about how we can build this creator economy in a way that is both prosperous for creators, but also with a core aspect of mental health. Yeah, Christoph, go for it. Yeah, thank you, Kyle. I just want to add, I guess, my last thought regarding spaces. I feel spaces are by far the best way. If you can speak, you absolutely should speak. Uh, you know, if it's not difficult for you, um, because there's just no better way of people getting an idea of who you are. You know, uh, you know your voice and what you say and how you behave is, is really, really powerful. And you know, you can be on the time on all you want to be, but everybody knows that. You know, there's not there's simply not the same identity that you can build on a timeline as you can do in the space. Um, so, so it is a truly powerful thing. And the other thing about the space is that it's not dependent, you know, like, um, at the end of the day, kind of like you say, we should be, we should be honest to our identity. Right. But at the same time, we're all fighting the algorithm and we are trying to game it and trying to find a way of getting the best organic reach. And, uh, in fact, it has a huge effect on what artists post. So, it, I mean, just one very simple example, you know, most people use their cell phone. I know that if I post a vertical, I have a much greater a response and if I post the horizontal even and but from a photographic point of view you know horizontals are often by far the best way to photograph um so it's it's uh and if you just look what Instagram has done to photographers they, I mean I've, I've seen <clears throat> some people who photograph in a specific way because they only think of the way will show up on Instagram no not because of the photograph itself so so it is very difficult sometimes to be true to yourself when you realize that you have to be the algorithm um, and so, <clears throat> sorry, so that's why I think spaces are so, so powerful because there's nobody can meet you there, you know, I mean, at least not the algorithm can't. Um, so if you can speak, you truly should spend, spend the time to do it. Uh, and it's still consistent with what I said earlier when I said, um, I'm just saying that we should be aware of, um, we should, uh, we should be aware of what the real expectations are of us, um, and, and not listen to too few voices out there because there are many other voices we don't hear. Um. And, and they may have a very different point of view. And I think that thread that I have similar kind of for me was a bit of a wake up call. So um, anyway, so thanks a lot for everything. It was a really, really great space. Yeah, no problem at all. And th thanks for coming up to speak. I really appreciate your perspective and yeah, adding adding more to this to this system, right? To this creator economy that we're building. And I think kind of on that note with what you were talking about on modifying your behavior for social media and modifying your creative output for social media, this is something that Julia and I have talked a lot about too, because it it always feels 
like it goes kind of against who I am, like you were talking about to try and cater to this inhuman algorithm that is going to show my work to more people just because I've cropped it differently. And I mean, this is something that I've struggled with generally because I mostly take like horizontal landscape time lapses. So not only do I have the wrong crop, but I also have video format that is large that cannot be conveyed properly on social media because the screen's too little and the algorithms compress it so it looks horrible. So there's all of these things. And honestly, that's part of the reason why I got into NFTs because I'm like, okay, I'm going to build this story behind my work, this story that I can convey in spaces and on Twitter and through writing that will lead people to something like Foundation where hopefully they're looking at it on their computer. And I can tell them, you should look at this on your computer because the resolution is in 4K and your phone is not going to pick it up properly. And I think really it kind of all comes back down to the storytelling aspect. And maybe we'll talk deeper about this in another space because I've actually researched a lot about story and kind of its uh, impact on human evolution. Like it's, it's a really fascinating topic. And I think people get caught up with social media as this thing that they have to conform to. But what I've been kind of trying to look at it more as uh, is something that enables me to tell a different style of story than perhaps my desired medium. Like even if my best way to look at something is on a computer or on a TV, that doesn't mean that I can't um, come up with a new creative way to convey that story that's shorter and smaller that will appeal to the depleted attention span of our society. Um, and on that note, like for example, I ended up my NFTs into a loop that was a GIF because GIFs are less compressed in my experience than video. So I was able to kind of convey this story and I struggled with this idea of trying to make it like snappy and kind of aggressive to grab people's attention span. So I actually made it into a GIF that was timed to the ideal breathing rate for reducing anxiety and improving mindfulness. So now I kind of this moving thing that I can put out there that is going to not necessarily be destroyed by compression too bad and can hopefully subtly draw someone into it, but not in a way that depletes their attention span further and instead actually improves their attention span. So, and I think kind of on that note too, when we start thinking about social media like TikTok, right? Like the average human attention span is less than eight seconds, um, which is worse than a goldfish. And I was actually at a friend's place this weekend and they had goldfish in their pond. And I walked outside and was looking at it and I was just like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that we have a worse attention span than this little thing that's like running into the wall. Like that, that was just, it was a bit of a wake up call and I know I've had that for a while, but I guess kind of what I'm trying to get at is if you view the way that you're conveying your information on social media as a story, people might only have the attention span for one or two seconds to see act one. So if I'm viewing it now as not conforming to an algorithm, but instead challenging myself to see if I can convey my story in as few words or as few images as possible, it ends up being almost like a positive challenge to myself instead of trying to cater to an algorithm. Yeah, Carl, I think we we have um, talked about the, a lot of points on, on storytelling, like between the two, two of us. And I think that would be great topic to talk about because i think it ties into so many of the aspects that we already talked about and also today like storytelling can be everywhere like from your digital identity to marketing and and like nfts and and the way that social media works and the way that we communicate so i think that would be a really cool topic to discuss as well in the next space 
or next spaces. <laughs> um, AJ, go ahead. Yeah, I'm trying to add, um, especially when um, Callum was talking earlier about uh, the in-person events and TNYC and things of that nature, our Basel in Miami, um, we talk about, you know, like this whole conversation um, when it comes to social media and networking, as I had mentioned before, this is something that I had studied. So like really, really deep into this thing as it, re as it pertains to my art and how to get it out there, but still like be happy and like, you know, find um, the mindfulness thing, right? Um, the big word that I always like to come to like uh, is authenticity because I don't know if y'all notice, but at least in my, from my perspective, you know, being on Twitter, like it's kind of experiencing um, what Christoph was talking about um, with regards to um, people who have, who feel a certain type of way about like how art like should be done or whatever. There's definitely a big capitalistic vibe that I personally think is kind of messing up like what art should really be about because when money's involved or when people get blinded by money as you know, the means to the end, as opposed to connecting with people, um, authentically. And, you know, like you said, like there's only time that you have to share your story with somebody. And I think about that type of thing when, you know, people come across my page, like what's the first thing that they see, like, are they going to be able to chill and like check this out for a little bit, or is it like too disinteresting? And more importantly, and I think most importantly, like, is this coming from a place where if somebody connects with it, like I can deepen that connection, or is this something that where it's like, all right, like, um, I'm just trying to get these views up, you know, like I'm trying to get to the next, um, 100, 1000, like whatever number it is, like obsessed with vanity metrics as opposed to like authentically connecting. Um, and I think like a lot of anxiety, um, that I experience comes from that where I'll interact with people online in real life. And me, I like to live a life where, you know, I, you know, life imitating art, art imitating life kind of thing, but not everybody's like that. So sometimes I just kind of get like nervous, just, you know, even in these spaces, which, um, not so much now because like you just hearing like the conversations that are happening you can tell it's really dope and um i'll end this with a quick story the last time that i got was really in spaces um the conversation was so dope i was actually in the middle of some travels and took the time to stop in the city where the co-host was at um was able to hang out there for a couple of hours and now it's just a really great friend of mine so it's just at the end of the day like you know i approached that with you know like i'm gonna go as like aj even though like online i'm a2 you know, you see keyboard, you see all this stuff, like none of that matters. Like if you can't like be authentic and like build a connection with somebody and, um, humanizing, um, interactions is great too. And this is, you know, ultimately everybody said this by this point, but this is why spaces is so important. So uh, that's my ending. Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing that story. I think that's cool that you're able to kind of merge your in real life identity with your digital identity in a way that felt authentic to yourself. And I think you're right. That's kind of the whole point here. Because we don't, I think if we start to view our digital identity as a separate thing from ourselves, we end up kind of missing out on a lot of the value that we can get from that in-person aspect. And I think that really it just comes down to, like you're saying, whenever you have an interaction with someone and you have this opportunity, they've, they've, uh, they've been hooked for whatever reason, something about what you have said or shown them or they've heard they really vibe with and now they're looking for more. How can I deepen that connection and get it to a point where they're either like a true fan or a true friend and someone that can uh, you can develop that relationship with over time. And that's honestly what I've been most excited about in this whole space, like, let alone Twitter spaces, but just the delving more into the creator world as a whole is finding all these people that either love art for purchasing or viewing or love creating art. And everyone kind of has their own, their own perspective and their own story to tell. And I mean, I've been obsessed with 
reading and listening to stories my whole life. So that's also why I love being in this space because there are just so many cool people with cool stories and cool ideas. And it's cool, especially like you're saying, to have spaces where you can have people pop in and actually, I mean, I don't know about everyone, but I can very much tell if someone is really passionate about what they're talking about when they're speaking in a Twitter space. And having that deeper level of empathetic displayal, displaying of uh, emotion, I think is a really cool opportunity for spaces. And I will say too, just on the introverted versus extroverted side, even if people are not comfortable enough to get up and speak in a space at first, I just recommend listening in and you can react, right? You can do, there are other ways that you can make yourself uh, seen by people in the hosting panel. Um, not that you have to by any means, but there, there is kind of like a, a building of confidence to speaking in spaces. And even if you just hop up into a space and say, hello, uh, I really like the conversation or I really dislike the conversation. And then you drop back down, like that's up to you. And by doing those little steps, right, uh, you're able to get to a point where you're more comfortable speaking. And then when you get more comfortable speaking, you begin to follow the flow of the conversation a little bit better. And the better you follow the flow of the conversation, the less you think about actually speaking and the more you just kind of react and you do the flow and you, in my experience, the anxiety reduces and the confidence builds and then the conversations just get better and better. So it really is kind of this concept of uh, 1% better every day. If you get 1% better every day at something for a whole year, you'll be 37 times better at it than last year. And I think that a lot of people hear that, that phrase and that math and they're like, oh, okay, cool. But if you actually take a step back and reflect, what if I was 37 times better at speaking than I was last year at speaking in public places with strangers or people that I've met once or twice? Like that That's a really valuable skill. That's what people used to attend classes for all the time. And we kind of have this opportunity to just slowly build our speaking skills over time. And I mean, it's something that I have drastically noticed has improved my in-person networking. Like when I go to conferences for, for my work and I'm talking to different people, like Christoph was saying, with a very business uh, intended mindset, I'm much more eloquent than I was a year ago because I've been chatting with Julia every day and conveying really complex topics and because I've been going into spaces and chatting with people. So it really is something that even over the course of the year, I've noticed massive improvement in myself and in others and also have seen how that directly links to value in real in real world as well as online. Yeah, I, I love hearing that, Calum. And as I mentioned earlier already, like it's it's the same for me. And so I'm I'm really grateful for like all the connections that we build and are able to to chat um on a daily basis and just build these deeper connections and, and just help grow this this network. And um yeah, I, I just going because I have a meeting in a bit. So um yeah, I just wanted to say to everyone who came to listen today and thank you, Christoph and AJ for coming up and of course um Callum for for hosting with me. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, thanks everyone for joining. Thanks, Julia, for for hosting. I I know I, I feel like I say this every space, but I it always just gives me a boost in my day after we have these conversations. So I, I really appreciate having the opportunity to chat with you and hear all your thoughts. And for anyone that missed it, I did pin up the first three episodes of The Bigger Picture. We are working on putting it into a podcast format, but there have been, this is the sixth episode now, so there are a couple more and I'm working at organizing it better. And I hope that you, if you missed any of them, you will go back and listen, because I do think that a lot of the topics we're talking about today have been touched on uh, more deeply in other episodes too. So it's all about kind of painting the bigger picture here and 
showing people how all of these elements come together to help build friendships and the creator economy. So thanks again, Fess. And I think we're not going to be doing it this Friday. Um, we'll, we'll put a post out on when the next episode is going to happen. Just with the holidays, we're not exactly sure on timing. But I look forward to seeing you all there. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you. Bye, everyone. See you. Bye.